Welcome. This podcast is called A Life of Learning. Over the years I've pursued many hobbies, interests, pastimes and sports. And what I aim to do here is to share all my experiences so that it may help you lead a life where you are always learning and constantly challenging yourself. Hi everyone, this is a Life of Learning podcast. Hi Sabrina. Hi Reggie, great to hear your voice. This week we are doing something very special. We are starting a series of interviews with some special guests. Um, who did you interview this time Reggie? Well I interviewed Tom who has been a professional entertainer and a circus artist for nearly two decades. Intriguing, I can't wait to hear more. Let's all have a listen. Hi, this is Reggie. Welcome to the Life of Learning podcast. And today we have Tom. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hiya. Yeah, I'm great. How are you? You're not too bad, not too bad. Right. Today's subject, we are going to talk about juggling. And uh, I connected with Tom through his YouTube channel um and uh, just messaged him and he decided to uh, come on to the show so thanks tom for uh, spending time and then uh, what well, taking time out to come and join the show uh, that's all right i've got a lot of free time at the moment <laughs> uh yeah we'll, we'll come on to that um but um what i wanted to start off with is um basically you know how you got into juggling and your um and your juggling journey uh well so um, I did actually learn to juggle in primary school. Um, there was a, uh, I grew up in a small village in the Highlands and there was a local hippie and they somehow persuaded the, uh, the local council to give them some money to teach juggling lessons. So I learned to juggle three balls and did a few basic tricks like uh, when I was sort of late primary school, but then never did uh, any more after that. Like once I got to secondary school, put it down, never really came back to it. And um I was traveling in Australia when I was about 21 and I saw people spinning fire there and I thought, wow, that's really cool. I could never do that. I don't have the coordination for that. And then about uh, six months later, I was at university and my friend showed me how to take a fire stuff and spin it and then spin it behind me and take it with the other hand and bring it to the front. And just learning that one move, I suddenly sort of clicked that, oh, I can do this. Like it, I, I am able to do this. And so I got myself a broom handle from the hardware store uh, and that summer when I was back home from university I spent the whole summer just playing with a stick really and learning how to spin stick and that was the start of it and I went from staff into poi and other fire stuff I wasn't interested in traditional juggling at all because I just didn't think it was cool and then um, uh, one day we went to a small juggling convention in London at uh, the circus space in London and um, there was a guy there who I later learned, I think it was Silver Ball Paul, but uh, I didn't know him at the time, but he was sitting there and he had two contact balls and the one was over the other and the two of them were floating in midair. And he was doing what, uh, palm isolations, where you just keep the ball still and you, you seem to stroke the ball underneath it. And I saw yeah. that and I was like, right, now that is cool. That definitely <laughs> is cool. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I wanted, I got into contact juggling next and then that brought back my, the, the first things I learned with balls and I sort of, there were several tricks that stopped me when I first started doing juggling and that was things like the box and pistons <laughs> and those masks and you know that that sort of second level of juggling and so I, I broke through those walls and did that 
And then uh, I got a job um, as a clown in Portugal. And, uh, and I'd always said I didn't want to juggle clubs uh, because, you know, they're, they're sort of hard on the hands and stuff like that. It's a bit silly reason, but I always said I never wanted to do it. <laughs> And, uh, and I got this job as a clown. And of course, all the other clowns there, they um, pass clubs. And if you're going to, and they realize that passing clubs is like juggling, but sociable. You actually get to do it with other people, which is amazing because most of the time you're staring at a wall on your own. And, uh, and yeah. so, yeah, I learned, I learned to juggle clubs to do passing. And then from there, I went on and became a street artist. And then, so this was, it was 2003 that I went to be a clown in Portugal and uh, I've basically been a professional juggler ever since. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. God, that's, I'll tell you what, you mentioned a lot of things there. And one thing that I will uh, go back on, obviously, yeah, fire is always going to be cool. When you're juggling fire, people always ask you, you know, if you're just juggling traditional clubs and stuff like that, they always want to know whether, you know, you can use fire. <laughs> but there's one thing, <laughs> there was one thing that you mentioned was um, you juggled. And then when you uh, were in Australia and you were using, I think you, you said you were using the uh, staff, you said that you you didn't think you were coordinated enough, but obviously yeah. juggling, you have to be coordinated, but you actually said that you didn't think you were coordinated enough. Yeah, I, in Australia, I saw it. I saw people doing it in Australia and I really didn't think I was coordinated enough to do it. And it was only, you know, later on in a low pressure environment uh, with just a friend messing around. And I, and I, I realised that I could. And the thing about um, coordination is it's a learned skill and it's a transferable skill. So yes. if you... The, the beauty with staff is like it's a very it's one object it doesn't really fly away on its own so unlike a poi it's not flexible it only goes where yeah. you tell it to yeah. and you you know you've got quite a lot of mental overhead to work with just one one object and so you get learn a bit of coordination from doing one object and then once you sort of learn your circles you can go into poi which take a little bit more and uh, these things all learn, like lean into each other so yeah. as soon as you start one thing, the next thing is easier. And then the next thing again is easier again. So, yeah, yeah. but it, you do have to, that thing of, oh, I can't do that. You have to get over that somehow. <clears throat> for, for sure. And I, I think you're, you're like me, you've, 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 you've gone down the rabbit hole of props. You've, <laughs> you've, you've done nearly probably every, I've probably tried every prop that you've mentioned. I haven't done fire. But you've probably done every prop that, um, that that I've done, and I think that's what happens. Well, I don't know. I suppose. Do you think a lot of jugglers go down that rabbit hole? Because I do know some jugglers that just want to stick with balls and that's it, or stick with clubs and that's it. Um, yeah, I think. I think most jo I'm saying I think most jugglers you you will like try many things but there'll be a few favorites that you end up going back to over the years like certainly in the first few years of juggling i went through loads and loads of props mm -hmm. um and but then like now i feel like there's a few things that i really enjoy and i will keep practicing till the day i die and the other stuff yeah. is fun but i don't you know it's not like it's not such a big part of me so yeah. um a friend of mine called it the hungry ghosts stage yeah where you just <laughs> want to learn everything all the time show me that and do their thing and uh, yeah, and your taste change over the years as well. So you, as your skills improve, like yeah. the flow you need to find something enjoyable changes yeah. what gives you that flow. So for me, yeah. like contact, contact juggling is the one that I always keep doing because it's hard enough that there's, you know, you're never going to get bored of it. And the feeling of it, the feeling of flow when you get like really nicely into contact juggling session, yeah. really, it just feels so cool to do. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and um, it looks yeah. cool as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 One thing you also mentioned was the juggling with other people. And uh, I started passing probably about, probably about three or four years ago. And it's probably, I think that's probably the most satisfying sort of like juggling sort of like experience that I've had when you're sort of like, uh, you're facing someone and you've almost got that telepathy yeah. looking at that person. Yeah. That's how I describe it. How would you describe I, that? I, I, uh, I say a very similar, similar thing, actually. If you've got a passing... Listening to, um, I don't know which one it is, but he was talking about um, juggling back in, I think it was the 70s and 80s. He was saying that... Um, you know, if you were a really good intermediate juggler, you'd learn Mills Mess. You know, if you were good at Mills Mess, and then advanced jugglers would um, uh, would be the five ball. Um, you know, the people, the, the people, the jugglers that could do five balls. Those would be the advanced jugglers. And he said that paradigm has shifted now because I think you mentioned Mills Mess as a. I think you said as, as, as an intermediate trick. But I think yeah, what he's I, saying I call is it second. Second tier. Yeah. So after you've done your basics, then that's like your next thing up. Yeah. yeah. And, and and he was saying just over the years, you know, everyone's doing five balls now, but back then, you know, hardly anyone was doing five balls. Yeah. And, uh, what, what, what's your view on that? Because I think it's basically down to, um, you know, exposure and seeing well, what, you know, if you there definitely is that. So, yeah, if you have, if you can be taught, if you've got someone around to teach you, then you can obviously get to a much higher level much quicker because you don't, you can avoid all the early mistakes and you yeah. can get a springboard. But also, I don't really like what he's saying is true, certainly of the hobbyist scene of juggling. But mm -hmm. in terms, if you look at professional jugglers from like the 50s and the 40s yeah. and the 30s, like they are incredible. And those guys are juggling seven clubs. And they are yeah. doing like crazy bounces, walking. I saw a great walking globe trick, and he finishes off with uh, he's got he's on a walking globe. He's got a, a nine foot pole on his chin. And he's bouncing a ball on top yeah. of the pole on his chin and juggling five balls at the same time. But yeah. that's professional circus, and that's kind of the environment you'd have in professional circus where people are pushing each other and they're sharing knowledge and that kind of thing. That didn't exist in the hobbyist world. And, yeah, um, I think I, mean, I think the internet has got a lot to pay for it as well because even before video stuff, we were sharing tricks and we were like pushing each other to to learn new things. And I think the the bigger the scene gets and the more teachers there are, then the acceleration uh, of skills and the acceleration of ideas and tricks comes out. So yeah, yeah. it's it's true. But I, I think you know, talk about people like Francis Bruin and stuff like that. There are some incredible, incredible jokes. Chris Cremo. You know, yeah. Chris Cremo, he was um, he was like in his prime in the seventies, and he was on. He is still now by modern standards an absolutely unbelievable juggler. I think he still yeah. has the record for pirouettes uh, with cigar boxes. Um, wow! I, yeah, I think it's he does. So I think he can do. A, so it's a three cigar. He throws all three cigar boxes up and does a triple pirouette and catches them wow. again. I think that's his record. Cool. <laughs> right, could be it. could be wrong on this. You might want to look yeah. it up. Um, but I saw, I've seen him, I saw him at the age of about sort of mid fifties, late fifties mm -hmm. at juggling convention in Ireland. And he did it with a double pirouette. Uh, he did the thing, double pirouette and the central, uh, central force. You could see the sweat flying <laughs> out from him in a flat yeah. line, you know, 
and you know just incredible and this this old uh, <laughs> this old guy was just kicking there's some amazing <laughs> like stefan singh was the amazing jugglers on that that yeah, on that finale show, but he beat everything hands down. He beat show. around, you know, for a long yeah. time before. Yeah, like, yeah. So okay. yeah, it just depends. I think yeah, you wouldn't see it in your local juggling club certainly, in your university juggling club, someone doing Mills Mess would have been impressive. But at the circus, I think you'd find a, a different story. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, I, I don't want to explore it now, but um, you know, there's the um, you know, the YouTube and the Instagram jugglers compared to the sort of like professional, uh, I know there's a little bit, I wouldn't say there's friction, but anyway, we'll, 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 I think we can talk about <laughs> yeah, I, can, I another, think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I think we can, we can <laughs> Michael Wilson. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can, I think we, because I, I think we can come back, because once we go down that rabbit hole, we could go on forever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, contra- but, yeah, controversies in juggling is, is a whole subject to itself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, okay. So, um, um, any interesting stories that you've, um, you know, that you've had, you know, any funny ones, any good ones, any sort of like any memorable uh, moments and stuff like that that you can share? Um, yeah, I'm not much of a raconteur. I'm more of a joke teller. <laughs> but um, <laughs> okay. uh, why did... <laughs> <laughs> Why did the uh, mathematician fall in love with a fisherman? Because he was no, a cute don't. angler. He was a cute <laughs> angler. Anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I do think, like, I'm just thinking, like, most of my really, uh, so I was thinking there's um, uh, Bristol, there's lots of great sort of fun stories from juggling conventions. Yeah. Um, if you haven't, if you are a new juggler and you haven't been to a juggling convention, then get to one uh, as soon as you can. Well, as soon as you legally can at the moment. Because, yeah. Uh, obviously, it's difficult. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of nice things. I was at, there was a great juggling convention called Bristol, which happens in the in September. It's changed venues now. I don't actually think it's outside Bristol anymore. But it used to be on a on a slope. It was on a a, a scout field, and mm-hmm. the actual whole thing was a slope. And the main juggling tent was on quite a decent sort of slope, so it was quite an entertaining place to be. And when you, it was nine days long, so when you came out of it, every, you just weren't used to flat land. You just kind of got to flat place <laughs> and like falling over sideways slightly. But mm. um, that was a great juggling convention. And one year, they they're quite good for late night games there. So. Uh, Okay. One year is because it's nine days long. A lot of pros go as well because it's in September, and that means it's the end of the season. So like yeah. all the other juggling conventions, I can't. I don't normally go to play festival and stuff because it's in August, and that's my big yeah. time to to work. Yeah, sure, sure. But um, but yeah, this this one is thing, and you get some like when you get to about day seven, day eight, most people are completely knackered and don't really juggle very much, and then you get a few like real like real crazy juggler heads really going for it. And uh, it was, I think it was the evening of day seven, they decided to play a game called I Have the Ball. And the way this is played is you have a ping pong ball and everybody has a teaspoon. And mm-hmm. all you have to do is pick up the ping pong ball, hold it in the air and say, I have the ball. And it, as soon as you completed that task, you've won the game. Um, the, uh, the complication obviously is that there was like 20 people playing the game. And uh, it's a ping pong ball. So it was basically a kind of like jugglers rugby. Um, yeah. Uh. And, it, and it was this rolling <laughs> ball of people all fighting for after a ping pong ball with teaspoons. 
and it went up and down the tent. It disrupted everything. Everyone stopped anyway. It's far too funny to do it in Yomoti. So <laughs> we watched this game happen. And then it, the ping, because it's on a slope, the ping pong ball trickled down the slope and out of the door of the juggling tent and into the night. It was like, it was quite late at night, so about midnight or something. And the whole rolling group of humanity, the brawl, <laughs> left the tent. And they just went out into the night, and the loads of us left in the tent, left sitting in the tent, and we could just hear like shouts and, and cries <laughs> of pain and stuff like that. And about like 10, 15 minutes later, they brawled back into the tent and they managed to get the ball uphill and back inside the tent. And eventually, my, a friend of mine who uh, is an ex rugby player, which says a lot about the game, he eventually managed to get the ball, held it in the air, and said, I have the ball and won it. And I think it was the most epic. A game oh, okay. of I have the ball I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, that that was quite fun. And then I was something else that came to mind because I was thinking about this earlier would be um, Glastonbury Festival. We were out. Uh, we were like a whole group of jugglers went together to Glastonbury yeah. Festival, and we we're up at the Stone Circle, and the sun's just rising and stuff like this. And uh, whoop, I'm dropping things on the floor. Uh, <laughs> so the sun's just the sun is just rising, and. Uh, I'm playing with uh, what we called nets at the time, which are aerotech balls inside nets on a string. And uh, aerotech balls, for people who don't know, they're like the original glow ball. Um, <laughs> they were really, at the time, they were making, they're very bright for the time. This was um, a blue LED technology had only just arrived. So it was only mm -hmm. the first time you could get real good color changing balls. And they had a tap sensor and they had programmable memory and you could get them to do various things. They were the bee's knees in terms of juggling and they were super expensive as well. And they were also really heavy because um, they used NICAD for batteries rather than lithium, which is a lot lighter. And uh, so the way you use them is you get the, used to have, uh, when you did washing, you get little net bags that you put your washing yeah. tablet in and put it yeah. in your thing. So those are the nets. You put your Aerotech inside the bag and then you got some fat shoelaces you strung them onto the nets and uh, that was your, that was your poi that you could do then. Yeah. Poi, they were really good. Yeah. And uh, what, what I used to do was take two of them and loop them together into a meteor, which is like a poi, but with a weight at both ends. Yeah. And uh, it was quite a long meteor. So it's quite, it's quite a thing, but it was, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. I know what I'm doing. And I just, you know, having great fun playing with this meteor and it is a gigantic fast spinning bright light up <laughs> thing of light you know you think yeah. you should be fairly safe from people walking into you but this is Glastonbury so uh, yeah, somebody sure. some poor guy such a poor guy just sort of wandered into my pattern just yeah. uh, I couldn't really do oh, anything dear. about it he just like someone straight in without seeing and he got the log ends which is must be about sort of four or five feet long with this heavy oh. heavy ball on the end of it and it wow. came straight around and whacked him in the back and it must have really hurt because the look of fear and i was <laughs> you know I, I was mortified i'm like oh sorry pal sorry sorry i didn't mean to do are you okay are you okay and he just put his hands up and back to where like no 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 more and ran <laughs> into the morning and i'm like what can you do you know there's there's nothing to think but uh yeah so Careful with the juggling folks, it's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the one, one thing you did say was, you know, get into a juggling convention. Yeah, I mean, I've only ever been to one. Um, that was there was uh, was one of the first ones in London. You don't really get many juggling conventions in London. Yeah, and I highly recommend it because the people there are 
super kind, super yeah. patient. Everyone is so willing to help you learn a trick yeah. or um, pass or whatever. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, everyone's so accommodating. Yeah, um, the... I, I'm going to have a video coming out on the channel soon, which is the channel's called okay. Fish on Stilts, by the way. Yeah, and yeah. We'll, um, we'll add that into the show notes. Yeah. Wicked. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, that's on that one. There is actually news of the Scottish and British juggling convention. Now they were both meant to. Well, obviously the Scottish is going to be in Scotland, but the British juggling convention is meant to be in Scotland this year as well. Yeah, and it's being postponed next year. But next year we'll have both of them up here in Scotland. So uh, right. check it out if you want any news, uh, some inside gossip on the the national. Oh, okay, convention. cool, cool, cool. Yeah. It, in fact, talking about um, sort of like um, obviously conventions have been cancelled this year and stuff like that. I mean, um, how is that? Okay, how's that? How how's this affected sort of like the? Um, the entertainment side of it and also the teaching side of it um because i've got i've I, I mean i've done some stuff teaching as well but obviously i've had to be super careful but what have you what have you what have you done have you done anything like that during these times uh no i've done mm-hmm. we we had the rules got relaxed for a little while over the summer and i managed yeah. to get out and do like two shows yeah um, over that time and even then when i even though the rules were relaxed and we were kind of doing them legally i didn't i didn't feel morally right in doing them because um when i do street shows and the whole sort of yeah. raison d'etre of a street show is to gather a crowd that's what yeah. you do that's that's what yeah. you, you that's the major skill of a street show is yes. like gathering a crowd and like you had you stuck in this weird sort of thing where you have to on one hand, you need to gather a crowd in order to get paid, but on the other hand, you can't. They said we could do it if we only had thirty people and we kept them distant. So we have to like gather a small crowd somehow, and it just didn't feel right. And I couldn't do it really. I couldn't safely keep people in small groups, but just because I didn't have, you know, I would be spending the whole time telling people, yeah, crowd please stand control. apart, please stand apart, and not actually doing the show. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So I just did that and that, and otherwise. So this year I've done since you know since may so april since i made april i've done two shows wow. i've done it i also work as a in the theater as a, a tech i do lighting and sound and stuff for the theater yeah and i've i've done one week's work for that yeah um tomorrow so today is the 29th we're recording and tomorrow on the 30th is a day of national accent action for the red alert campaign which is actually the the entertainment industry basically trying to like point out that of all of the industries that have been hit by COVID, and we have all been hit really hard, obviously. But yeah. entertainment from the first day was just completely shut down, and hasn't been, hasn't come back. You know, it's not like we get we can even do small shows or anything. They just it's been completely gone, and everyone's retraining or on the door or or something else like that. So that's hard. And as far as teaching goes, um, I do I do a lot of in person teaching, but um, that's all stopped. Um, mm-hmm. and uh i don't i really don't get on with zoom teaching yeah. and stuff like that <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't suit my style and no. i really it's okay we like talking to one other person like you like this is a cause not too bad but i find if there's anything more than one person the lag drives me mental yeah <laughs> yeah and i don't so like my equivalent then is then just to make these tutorial videos instead because sure. then I don't, you know, it's just one way and then I don't have to, it's yeah. not interactive, which is a shame when you teach kids much better, obviously, to be interactive, but it's the next best thing. I yeah. Guess. 
In fact, you know this. Um, this talk about your YouTube channel. If you want to find that uh, you've done, you did a really good, or I thought it was a good, really good uh, documentary. It was kind of like a documentary on street performing and how yeah. you've coped through that time. Uh, yeah. As I say, I yeah, really I, enjoyed that. Go on. I, I call it a vodcast because it's like a podcast, okay. but we video it instead. Yeah, sure. I don't. I doubt I made that up, but uh, it's a good enough thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't, I've never heard that term, so yeah, you can you can add that one. <laughs> you can coin that <laughs> one. Nice. I'll tell him Reggie said. Reggie said it's mine. <laughs> cool, cool. But yeah, as I say, if you really want a really, uh, I mean, I don't know how described. I mean, the, I think the listeners should go and um, look yeah. at it if they're really interested in how. But how would how would you describe it? Was it a, is it a kind of, not a fly on the wall type piece? What is it? What do you what would you call it? Is it an well, interview? It's, it's, it's an interview. It's a set of interviews. It's talking to um, lots of people I know who make their living on the streets of Edinburgh by either performing or tour guiding or busking. And it's basically um, just a sort of snapshot of how people are coping with the pandemic, what they're, what they're doing to try and keep working, uh, what the rules they have to use to work under and, uh, and basically sort of how it's affected them and what's going on right now. And the, it's, it's, an, it's very much a smash, snapshot because the, uh, the things have all changed now. So in Scotland, we were, were, were able to do these performances of 30 people, but now it's gone back down to like six people outside and that's it, which definitely rules out doing any kind of performance or street show. It probably rules out tour guiding and stuff like that as well. So um, yeah, it was just a, in, right in the middle, in the best part, <laughs> in the best, the best part of the... Uh, yeah the pandemic like looking at how people survive that and i'd like to sort of redo another one as well revisit it in two years time and see how yeah. things change if people move careers or like how how things are recovering and that kind of thing as well but yeah it's like a it's a yeah it's an interview documentary something i call it something like that yeah yeah and I, and I like these types of um sort of like pieces because you know in you know in 50 years time you know when someone's doing um you know a, a history history essay and they can look to these types of blogs and said well yeah. look this is how street performing was you know was impacted during this time and stuff like that so it's uh you know it's yeah. almost a, you know you're reporting a slice of history aren't you yeah, and and I think for me as well, like I, when you live in the performance life, you get to see a whole side of it, because by by necessity, when you're performing and being a performer or working in that kind of industry, you're creating an outside image, an outside persona, mm-hmm. and that's what people are seeing. They're seeing this manufactured yeah. thing that you're done all the time. And but I find it's really interesting as well to get beyond that and yeah. talk to the people on a personal level. And so it's not just the sort of the glamour that is being cast yeah. by the performer, oh, I'm this, this cool person, but actually the, the real human stories that go behind, like why do you do cards on the street and not, uh, and not work in a bank or something like that? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So, yeah. so just, that, I, I just, yeah, I, th- I think there's this huge, uh, I've always found the street fascinating. I always go back to doing street work. Um, I do a lot of like corporate work and, and mm-hmm. contract stuff, but I prefer the street and I always go back to the street because I find it a very real place. And um, it, you know, the things happening there are immediate and they're personal yeah. and you, you know the people around. When you've lived uh, on the street for a long time, you see so much more than your yeah. average person just walking down the street. You can, you see each people and I'm able to go like, 
that's local. They work there. These are tourists. This yeah. is uh, this is a down and out. They're like this person is a con man. Yeah, can, got it. <laughs> yeah, you can see all these stories going on, um, and I find that fascinating. When I when I lived in Rome, there was I worked on Piazza Navona, which is a big big uh, piazza in in the middle of um, Rome, and there are several tiers of street workers there. You have like um bag sellers and uh and people who have small fly pitching stuff so they they sell knockoff bags and you've got mm-hmm. uh and it's actually tends to be divided in country lines as well so uh the guys were all like senegalese who'd sold the bags sure yeah and then yeah. you had loads of uh chinese and uh, <laughs> Viet- vietnamese guys and they would sell like um uh wire wire ornaments and stuff like that and they yeah, had yeah, a lot of yeah. uh, guys from india and bangladesh and they would sell small glowing toys and stuff like that. so sure. there, was, there was this great strata of, yeah. of people all selling to the tourists that flood through the, the square every day and what what the tourists never see and i realized after a short was that there's another set of people and they're selling to the people selling to the people on the street so there would be these um, it would either be it's normally quite an older person so a lady or a mm-hmm. man and they'd have a little wheeled trolley and they look quite incongruous they were you know um, they weren't weren't tourists and uh, they would just be wheeling their little trolley through the through the square and if you stop them you can go hey what have you got today and they would have like a lunch or they'd have cold drinks or they'd mm-hmm. um, they have like other some food you could buy like a full indian lunch for like sort of three euros yeah, and the thing was, they were selling to the pe- because the people selling on the street, they don't have the money to in the piazza. All the bars and restaurants they're super expensive, and even the tobacconist where you go to buy a can of coke, that can of coke might cost you two, three euros because you're in the middle of Rome. And so these people were um, taking their cold drinks in their bags and going selling them to the street sellers. And so that was this sort of underground economy, yeah. secondary economy built up all around it. And, th- and those kind of things, that kind of level of detail, looking into the street and what's going on, that really fascinates me. So wow. it's one of, the, it's one of the, the aims behind the whole Street Stories um, series, because we, I want to do quite a lot of them, is to really kind of dig at the underlayer of what it's like to, to work and live on the street. Yeah, wow, no, that's in, no, wow. I mean, you've, you've told me something there that I didn't. I've never looked at it in in, in that way. Yeah, and in, and in terms of sort of like entertainment, um, you know, I think during this, you know, this period of uncertain times, I think people have really missed the entertainment and we don't we, we you know we, i wouldn't say you know it's one of you know we need drink we need water we need um you know mm. we need food and we need shelter and stuff like that but i think entertainment especially i don't know i, I suppose for, for for quite a few people is the thing that they need in order to get away from work and their you know sort of like their i wouldn't say stressful life i would say and yeah. uh, i think people have really you know, when football went away, people were, you know, realised that how much they really liked it. And, you know, when they couldn't go to yeah. plays and the cinema and stuff like that. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, we need guys like you entertaining because, you know, you provide us with that outlet of, of fun. Yeah, and, uh, I think art. Yeah, I think as, as well, especially at the moment, it's uh, it, into it's like it's a sign of normality because entertainment yeah. is one of the first things that went 
and was yeah. left such a big hole that when people see it happening, they kind of go to it in, in like a, a sort of talisman of, of normalcy. And yeah. they can, uh, you know, they can kind of pretend that nothing is is wrong for the for the same yeah, minutes sure. while they're watching the show or doing the thing. And yeah. uh, my partner um, is Danish, and she went she went over to Denmark over the summer, and she went yeah. to see a stand up show indoors with a with a live audience. And you know, yeah. she's sending me back pictures like, "It's amazing! Look at this amazing thing!" And it was really <laughs> just like about about like having some hope that actually life is not just going to sure. be this continual isolation isolation yeah. yeah yeah and 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 life performances you know um i mean we were going to go and see um, me and my wife we were going to go and see loads of concerts and and plays and stuff like that and some of them said okay we'll put it on zoom and i'm thinking oh, not on zoom you know streaming it i'm thinking no yeah. live is life <laughs> yeah you I, I, you know you can't you can't separate it so you, you can separate it it's, it's just it's just not the same there's a there's a magical thing that happens when you get a crowd of people together it's one of the things you exploit in a street show but all live performance has it in that people start to act as one and they start to feel the same emotions at the same time when you have a big yeah. group of people and they're watching a good performance and they're all you know, they might all be feeling on you at the same time. And it, it acts like an emotional amplifier, a resonator. Mm-hmm, and when mm-hmm. you're in a big group, you know, you you see a good, a good show and you see those people like clapping and they're whooping and shouting out stuff like that. And you know that if they were not in a big crowd that everybody felt all energetic, they would yeah. never do. They would they would be mortified if they saw them. If you just took away the crowd and just saw they saw themselves standing on the street going, "Yeah, come on!" Yeah, yeah, like, oh yeah, my god, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah, and it's that uh, that ability the, the, of a crowd to really just take you into a separate space, a separate kind of perceptive space. Yeah, yeah, space and that, that it's important. Yeah, and I think, and you're—I mean, what you're what you're doing, juggling and street performing, and I mean, is it is it, is it mainly a juggling act? Is it, or is it is it a mixture well, of comedy and, or is it what is it? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's abstentiously a juggling act. So right, juggling right. is the excuse. Um, <laughs> the thing, the thing is, especially with street, but like uh, in a lot of stuff, unless you are a really, really top flight juggler, um, yeah. people aren't. All that interested in juggling no. and uh, three i often say that like three years of practice comes down to about three minutes of juggling performance um, yeah. and uh, so in my show like most street shows and like if you see a, a street artist you're like oh why does he get on and do it this is the reason is um one trick if for a lay audience one trick is impressive two tricks is amazing three tricks is fantastic Four tricks, well, I've just seen a fantastic trick. Five yeah. tricks, okay, I've seen four other tricks. Six tricks, okay, I'm out of here. Yeah. And so <laughs> the, the often, there are obviously exceptions to this rule. It's not hard and fast, but often the case is, is three tricks and a million jokes. Yeah, you, do, sure. you spend half an hour to do three tricks. And, you know, the real, the real um, grail for a lot of street forms is just one trick. So, for example... Um, uh, people do straight jacket escapes that's mm-hmm. one trick it takes them 35 to 45 minutes and they <laughs> yeah. they spend the whole time telling jokes as they do it and it's yeah. actually it's a laughter when i was learning the show 
Um, the day that I added in a purely clown routine that was just jokes and had no juggling at all, I mm-hmm. doubled my income like sure. overnight just just by making people laugh. So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. So it's not it is a juggling show, but if you're a juggler, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're not going to enjoy it, or you're going to be yeah. open mouthed that I can possibly get paid for doing for such a paltry tiny bit of juggling. Um, but but that's just. Uh, that's yeah. just how it yeah. that's how it works on the street. Yeah, that, I, I get you because um, you know if 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 someone is juggling four clubs, the lay person will think, okay, yeah, that's four clubs, five, six, seven. It's just clubs to them. It's not. It, yeah. it, they, 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 they they put it this way for one they can't comprehend how difficult it is yeah. to go from four to five then from five to six they can't comprehend yeah. that which is fine yeah. you know they, no one's gonna you know they say if you just do one trick you know like the famous trick you know uh, juggling and eating an apple visually yeah. it's good you know body <laughs> throws are good you know yeah. clubs through the legs back crosses yeah, 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 anything yeah. like that technically anything you can like they can get a hold of it's a bit like reason why football is hot one of the reasons football is popular is that everyone's kicked a ball and so you can understand sure. the sort of difficulty and you can when you see a great footballer you can see that they're really skilled because yeah. you've tried that basic thing and you can see how far above it is and juggling not many people have ever tried to juggle five objects but yeah. if you throw a thing behind your back and catch it in front that's obviously impressive because it's behind you you can't even see it yeah, so, and that's something that you can relate to a lot more. And the other thing, yeah. the classic joke as well for in juggling circles is that um, lay people can't count. Um, so <laughs> you can, <laughs> if you're juggling seven balls or five balls, uh, unless you're a juggler, it's actually quite hard to tell the difference. Yes, because uh, you know it's just the pattern is just a bit higher. Once it gets above four balls, then it's just a lot of balls. Yeah, and uh, yeah. there's a classic story of, of this juggler. And he, you know, he's he's a great numbers juggler, and these lay people come along and they go, "Wow, how many balls can you juggle?" And he's like, "Well, uh, the the world record is uh, is eight, but here I can do seven. And he shows them seven seven balls, and they're like, "Wow, that's amazing!" They applaud, and they go off, and he goes back to juggling nine balls once they've gone <laughs> away. Um, and yeah, so it, it is one. I uh, my friend Will as well. We used to bust together, and bless him. <laughs> he would stand on the street and he would juggle seven ball side swaps and he'd be like doing just the most amazing juggling the street had seen in years. And, you know, one person, one person would tip him and everyone else would look for a couple of minutes and just get dazzled and then go away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's that, and, and that's and that's the difference between between you know performing in the you know for for people that don't understand really the the, the, the skill involved in uh, juggling these high numbers. And you know, at the end of the day, you you've got to be providing entertainment and yeah. you know showing your technical skill. Well, it, whilst yeah, a it's lot of, you know uh, impressive, it's not really entertaining for for the yeah. masses. A lot of uh, a lot of high-end jugglers they specialize in doing juggling conventions because they're really great to perform for because they can get to pull out all these amazing tricks to an appreciative audience who really know yes. what they're looking at and yeah. and that's yeah that that's really i mean i re- that's one of the, another great reason to go to juggling conventions is yeah. that you'll see uh, you know a lot of the very best jugglers um in the world uh don't don't do public performance no. like um you're right 
Ben Ben Beaver, who sadly passed away a few years ago, he had record for flashing balls at one point. He flashed something stupid like 13 mm-hmm. balls. And, um, you know, he was a very shy, retiring guy who you, you just sort of see this this uh, this wee guy in the, the corner of the gym and he'd be throwing ridiculous amounts of balls in the air and catching them again. But he was, you know, nobody nobody outside of juggling circles even knew who he was. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an interesting set. Yeah. I mean, I think the skill level of jugglers now, you know, from what I'm seeing on YouTube and um, everyone now, I mean, I think they are definitely more skilled jugglers now uh, than mm. probably than probably ever um so yeah the, the 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 level of skill and entertainment and creativity is yeah. <laughs> you know is is unbelievable you know i, I yeah. even get in awe of just looking at people who do some of these really good flowing club yeah. ball diablo movements. I mean, yeah. Just, yeah i always joke that i'm an old school juggler because i i just like throwing things in the air and catching them again but the truth is, like, I just learned juggling at a time sort of before the flow stuff came around. Yeah, and sure, I'm kind of yeah. kind of jelly of all this, uh, like, deconstructed juggling, if you will, that's going on at the moment. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. I, I've, the thing about juggling as well, a, a good friend told me, he said, you can do anything. It just takes a million attempts. Yeah. And so you've got to decide what it is you want and then do those million attempts. So, you know, um, you can do you can do the hardest tricks around. You just got to work at them and it does mean that you have to pick and choose you can't do everything you can't learn nothing you've got to find find what your discipline your favorite thing to do is and then go for it yeah i tell you what's funny you should mention that because i was going to bring it up but it was a really good timing you said you know if you do it a million times you know you start to get good at it and you know you you finally get the trick down one phrase that i heard from someone and let me see if i can get this right he said that uh the more i practice the more things slow down and I'm able to see the the trick and the pattern. Yeah. Uh, can you identify with that? Yeah. Well, the mental overhead's really big part of it is yeah, yeah. because I was partly thinking of body memory as well. So that um, once your hands have gone through the motions a few times, then you can step back from conscious control. You're not like yeah. telling your hand, go over here and catch this. You're just looking at the top and, the more your body, often I, I think of it as like getting my brain out of the way of my body. Yes. Because yes. my brain's always trying to interfere and trying to make sure that <laughs> it's done right. And actually my body knows how to do it. And really my brain just has to relax and chillax. And once my brain has kind of got the idea that I can do it, then you can sort of watch yourself. There's a, some, it happens to me very rarely, but occasionally happens in juggling. It's probably the most beautiful experience you can have juggling on your own, I think. But yeah, yeah it can come a moment where you see yourself juggling from the outside and yeah. you're not even thinking about depropping at all. It often comes after like an hour of hard practice or, or more. And it's almost transcendental. It's almost like astral projection, like floating above yourself yeah. and seeing yourself do the move. And then for one perfect moment, you just like, you're, you're completely doing it. You're part of you is so absorbed in doing it that the rest of you can just watch. And then as soon as you realise you're doing it, of course, it all collapses and it all comes down. It just, <laughs> yeah. just lasts for just a second. But it is, that's why I often think of juggling as a meditation because you can get into yeah. these kind of strange states. For sure, for sure. And I think that can happen from the beginner right up to the professional, don't you yeah. think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. It's, it's, it's all about, um, I mean, they call it flow state. And yeah. that's close to what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Flow is, flow is a kind of, um, well, we talk about another like it's quite a big subject about yeah it is, it is, this, it is, is, yeah. this is 
this is not just flow. It's more than that. It's, it's yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, I think the, um, I think um, I've gone through everything that um, you know I've really wanted to discuss. The only final thing was just in terms of you know um, juggling. Um, you know, if someone wanted to start juggling, you know, um, you know, what advice would you what advice would you give them? I would say um, you've got to because there's an initial hump when you're first starting. It's like it's called the suck zone, where everything sucks <laughs> and you're really bad at stuff. And so um, once you're over that zone, then uh, it's really easy for a while until you hit the first big plateau, and that's when everything really goes really fast. But to get over the suck zone. I find the best thing is to um, really find something you really want to do. It's no point slaving your way through uh, trying to juggle balls if you really don't find juggling balls very interesting, you know. But like, for for example, for me, when I saw someone do the contact juggling, I, I was like, wow, that's really cool. I want to learn it. And that gave me the motivation to get through the yeah. suck zone. Yeah. And uh, so it, don't be... Put, if something looks really hard or really complicated, um, don't be put off. Don't think, oh, I've got to start with something simpler first. Do the thing that you really want to do because you're really going to need that drive to want it to get through that early part, that early suck zone of learning mm. to juggle. And it's just, you know, <laughs> what are the three rules of learning to juggle? Practice, practice, practice. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's and going... Yeah, you've got to find joy in you, after a while you learn to like really love being in the, the repetitive space of just trying yes. and failing and trying and failing but you are going to have to learn to love to be there because when you start doing it first you, you just want it right away oh i want to be able to do that cool thing but it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be cool if you do it it's uh as i say a lot when it comes to drumming if it's not hard it's not fun so uh you're gonna yeah, have to Mark, that's that, that's good in fact we've got an episode that we haven't put, um published yet and it's called about the plateau so uh, yeah. that was a yeah. that was a yeah we, we didn't I don't think we called it the suck zone but we know what you mean <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah yeah okay so yeah cool now thanks for that thanks for that advice thanks for um your time and hey, um, my pleasure. I hope you get I hope you get back to um, sort of like doing um you know the the job that you enjoy doing which is entertainment and juggling and teaching and everything yeah, else. Me too. And, uh, I am lit I'm literally dreaming about doing shows still like six months in lockdown and I still wake up in, in the morning and I've dreamt that I've done a show so yeah I can't wait to get back <laughs> yeah, as I say, it must be frustrating, but you know, our thoughts are with you. And yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, we're, yeah, everyone's going through the same thing. But uh, like I would say, thanks for your time. Thanks for, um, you know, the stories and, uh, you know, and your wisdom and your thoughts. Really, 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 really good stuff. So uh, thanks uh, a lot, thanks Tom. For it. Yeah, oh, thanks for you. having me, man. It's really good fun. Cheers. Yeah, thanks a lot. Bye. Bye, all. Sabrina what did you think of it I found it fascinating um there there was that bit where Tom talked about his income doubling when he started adding jokes into it so effectively when he added in uh, like a level of showmanship and and that's really what people want um uh what did he say about the like the three tricks yeah he said that um basically it's almost like the law of the 
you know, as a street performer, people only want to, if you do more than three tricks, then people are going to leave. So you do a sort of like a first trick just to capture their attention. Then you do all the, you know, the jokes and, uh, you know, the you know the banter between the audience. Then you do another trick uh, just to keep them engaged a little bit more. Then you build up to the f- finale and, you know, and that's where, you you know, you do your probably the, the most visual trick. And then uh, then hopefully you get people um, staying there for a long time. And then that's yeah. when you, you know, pick up the money. So, yeah, it's, it's not just about the juggling. It's about the whole, you know, it's about the whole yes. act. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and actually what this reminded me of was um, th- this week I've been researching great speakers on uh, TED Talks and other places. And I was thinking about Ken Robinson. Uh, mm-hmm. who does a talk about um, creativity and education. And mm-hmm. um, if you look at one of his talks, it's basically a string of jokes. Uh, like he's, it's a stand-up routine. And in there, he's got his message about children and creativity. And it's a persuasive message, but it's all wrapped up in entertainment. And that's why he's so effective. And I thought that's exactly the same as this juggling. It's he's doing his tricks but it's all wrapped up in entertainment and jokes as well so it's funny that there's that uh kind of con- consistency or that uh, parallel yeah yeah nah Ed, I, th- I think um it's something that until someone spells it out to you you don't really sort of like kind of understand it and it's quite hidden as well and mm. I think it's um something especially amongst street speak performance in terms of what he's doing is something that's been sort of like um been passed down from generation to generation you can mm. come in and do all these technical juggling tricks in front of a crowd but you know people don't want to hear that they want to see that they they it's nice but they want to get the whole complete package and I think the people that can you know that can tell jokes that can be humorous and can be uh and I've got the skill and the rapport they're the ones that are going to make the most money so it's um, true yeah yeah and and it's so much more uh such a rounded uh experience as well there's so many skills that you have to have like keeping people's attention and uh, like having comic timing, um, you know, being warm and affable. Uh, that's on top of just being able to do the tricks because uh, like you've been doing juggling ages and I'm sure there's lots of tricks you can do as well, but yeah, there's a whole yeah. other level to being a street performer. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And, you know, when he spoke about the street performing, he mentioned about when he was in, was it Italy? Do you remember that part of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the um, the different types of uh, people that are selling on the street. Yeah, that that bit I enjoyed so much. It was like a window into another world. So that's the bit that really that that's a bit that really struck out at me as well. Um, not just the people that sell uh, on in the touristy areas, but the economy of the people that sell to the people Um who work there it's just uh oh, fascinating yeah. uh, and I'd love to hear more about that it's just something I never thought about that is happening all around me and I just want to wanted to know more about that as well so I'd love to um have Tom back again so I could ask him more questions about that yeah and uh, you know just on that he mentioned one thing he said that you know the people that um that perform in that perform and sell their wares in those expensive areas those mm. areas those the food 
in those areas are going to be quite expensive. So mm. you've got the people that are selling food to the street performers and the, you know, the people that are selling uh, their wares in the streets. And, you know, yeah. you, you don't, you can't understand that because these people are probably coming from, you know, some sort of maybe a village or, you know, well, put it this way, they just can't afford to eat in that area. So, yeah. uh, you know, sort of like a little economy going on in itself. It's true. And uh, like in touristy areas, the prices are so inflated. Of course, it makes sense. uh, But it's one of those things that you don't think about until somebody is has been involved in that world and spells it out for you. Yeah, um, pretty brilliant. Yeah, I think it it, it sounds I wouldn't say it's not not glamorous, but it's, um, you know, it sounds like you can meet a lot of different characters. Colourful mm. is probably the word I should think of. Yeah, it's probably a colourful um, um, environment, a lifestyle out there. And uh, yeah, he, he definitely made it sound interesting. And I think he said he was going to try and ex- explore that area of um of, uh, of of sort of like street life and stuff like that one other thing yeah. that i i found interesting was the um when he said that when he spoke about juggling and he was talking about getting into a flow state you know yeah. he said it was almost very spiritual and stuff like that and obviously um flow is um you know is it's meant to be a a sort of like um it's described in many different ways but the way he mm. described it you could tell that you know once he got into it you know he he he, he, he got a lot out of it and stuff like that and you know flow yeah. is something that everyone tries to get into <laughs> yeah yeah uh, actually I wasn't expecting that spiritual side that he talked about on top of um the state of flow yeah 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 and, and go on sorry nope yeah that, yeah and he also mentioned about that suck zone <laughs> Yeah, um, that that I found uh, like great advice that he shared there, uh, where he said, you know, to get you, there's going to be a time when you suck and to focus on doing the bit that excites you and not to waste your time on, um, on, I guess, uh, trying to be good at something you don't really enjoy (laughs) which is of course obvious but when he spelled when he said that it really kind of uh hit home for me so I thought yeah that's good advice yeah 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 yeah. no yeah um if there's if there's anything else I mean I really enjoyed doing the interview it was my first interview and he really made it um he really made it easy for me and as I said I'm hoping to get him back uh, to discuss yeah. some sort of like uh, other subjects as well so um yeah, I think yeah we should definitely get Tom back and then yeah. also in the future I'd love to hear uh you you mentioned the uh contract between uh, YouTube and Insta stars, so and, and I know that, that it sounded like there's a whole other heap of politics there. So um, yeah. maybe in another episode, we get to hear a bit about that. For sure, for sure, for sure. As I said, uh, Tom does um, YouTube videos. Cool. To it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Sabrina. Bye. Take care. Yeah. Bye.